The epistle is written in chapter 3 of James, beginning at verse 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Gospel is written in chapter 8 of Mark, beginning at verse 27. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, 
If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. May I speak in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If anyone would be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. It's a phrase we've heard time and again, but what does it mean to deny yourself? So often we make it a little more than a denial of the sweet things in life, and normally just for a moment, saying no to that extra piece of chocolate cake or another glass of wine. But being a disciple of Jesus is costly. It's about laying down our rights laying down our pursuit of pleasure and our pursuit of comfort. Bonhoeffer said, to deny oneself is to be aware only of Christ and no more of self. To see only him who goes before and no more the road which is too hard for us. Denying oneself addresses two issues that I think affect all of our discipleship. Firstly, control. Deep down, I think I can run my life better than anybody else. I know me. I can see what works best for me. I'll do best if I call the shots in my life. Denying self says something different. Second is fear. If I relinquish control to God, then he may just ruin things for me. But the surrendered life to God, the way of following, says his ways, not my ways. It denies self, it denies control, and it puts fear in the hands of the one who is perfect love which casts out all fear. So this morning, let me ask you this. How are you doing denying yourselves? It's very difficult to judge, isn't it? Because as soon as we see success in that field, well, it feels like pride. 
And I think our passage in James gives us some pointers to think about the way that we might deny ourselves. You see, James says, lay back in the doctor's chair and say, ah, because we need to invite Jesus to examine, interestingly, our tongues, because they reveal more than we imagine about the state of our lives. Yes, one of the ways that we can see how we're denying ourselves is by taking a good look at the tongue. Now, the tongue is often the first tool that we use to project our image to others. An American president once said this, I would rather remain silent and be thought a fool than speak up and remove all doubt. But there's more danger in the tongue than just being considered a fool. Earlier on in James, we're told, If you consider yourself religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on your tongue, you deceive yourself, and your religion is worthless. Worthless religion. So what do we see of the tongue? Well, firstly, it's powerful. It's small and light, like a bit on a bridle of a horse or a rudder on a ship. When I proposed to Carrie, I thought I would take her horse riding because I knew that she loved to do that. But of course, I thought that um, we should go on the advanced trek because I assumed that I could control a horse. It can't be that difficult, could it? Well, we returned after a couple of hours Me having gone off in completely the wrong direction with bleeding knuckles, saddle sore for the next couple of days because I realized that everybody else knew how to control that beast and I didn't. Just a small thing, the bit in its mouth which has such a big impact The rudder on a ship is equally tiny in comparison to the whole ship, yet it's powerful to steer the course for it. The American aircraft carrier, the Eisenhower, weighs over 91,000 tons. It's nearly 1,100 feet long. It's got a nuclear-powered horsepower uh, engine of 280,000 horsepower. It carries nearly 100 aircraft and over 6,000 personnel. And yet the rudder is just a tenth of one percent of the size of the ship. The tongue is powerful. We're told it makes great boasts, verse 5. It has great power. And sadly, generally, it's power for bad. Secondly, it's destructive, like a fire which only requires a small spark to make a whole fire take hold. The tongue is incendiary. It's a a, a fire, a world of evil, verse 6, which can corrupt the whole body and can set the whole course of one's life on fire. That's stirring stuff. Are you listening to this? Are you hearing it? What has your tongue spoken that reveals a corruption of your soul and body? It's worth thinking about these careless words we speak, which, were, which have resulted in broken relationships, in destroyed families, in self-loathing. 
It's powerful. It's destructive. Thirdly, it's uncontrollable. All the beasts of the land and sea have been tamed by humanity. We use the largest elephants to move large obstacles. We use the smallest insects to provide medical antidotes. But no human can tame the tongue. It's described as a restless evil full of deadly poison. Watch out for the tongue. We can try to control it, but we find that we can't. It's powerful, it's destructive, it's uncontrollable, it's fourthly revealing. Because what comes out of our mouths reflects something of what is in our hearts. It's the overflow of the heart. It's something of a spiritual barometer showing what's really going on inside of us. It shows our inconsistency. How can we praise God and curse his creation? How can we praise God and yet cause division and heartache through our words to others? How are you controlling your tongue? What does it reveal about your heart? Now some of you may be thinking, well actually, I think I'm in pretty good shape here. But if that's you, we'll note that our ability to control our tongue is only a yardstick. It's only the blood of Christ and faith in him that can give us life in all its fullness. And for others, you might be sitting here thinking, this is depressing news. Perhaps you've realized that you are more sick with sin than you thought. Well, if that's you, then we need to go back to the gospel passage because it's full of good news. In it, we're reminded that that this high calling of taming the tongue only comes through following the way of Christ, who would suffer, be killed, and rise again, who invited his followers to deny themselves with all that the tongue seeks to portray and seeks to hide, to take up their cross and follow him. The passage started with a wonderful question of Jesus. Who do you say I am? I wonder if Peter recognized the power of the tongue. It's destructive, uncontrollable and revealing nature. Because he was the one who was quick to honor and recognize Jesus as he said, You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. He was also the one who began to rebuke Jesus when Jesus spoke of his forthcoming suffering, death, and rising again. He was also the one who would come to deny Jesus three times. With his tongue, he praised his Lord and Father. And with it, he cursed others. Peter is an example of the inconsistency that we see in ourselves, an inconsistency that separates us from God and from others. But it's an inconsistency that Jesus came to make right, to die and rise again, so that whoever loses their life for Christ and for the gospel will save it. Now that is religion that is worth something, isn't it? Will you check your speech? Will you see what it reveals of your heart? Will you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him?